Welcome back, everyone, to HalloweenHaunts365.com, the podcast. I'm Jared. Hi, I'm Terry. <sighs> Damn, woman. Screaming into that microphone. Today we have a fun episode. We're going to do Haunted Attraction History. It can basically be a little series, but this is the start of it, because there's a lot of historic haunts out there that we'd like to cover and go deep into. Yes. But uh, first up, we have some haunts opening for Valentine's Day. Our first video is Field of Screams, but if you want to join in and have us play a video, reach out. Sign us a video. We'll play it. You're open for the Valentine's Day or March or whatever, so here's the video. little discount code that i'm pretty sure will still be available by the launch of this video oh stole that from their facebook so if it doesn't look that clean it's okay <laughs> just letting people know they're open next up brightness island That's Dark Valentine at Brighton Asylum. Make sure you check out their websites for dates and times. Like I said, if you guys are opening and want us to play your video before we get into our bullshit, let us know. It looks really cool. Yeah, their videos are really fun. Good job out of them. Uh, one last commercial. Check out me and South Jersey Jason as we conquer the world of horror, true crime, and anything we feel like talking about. Because that's what we do. stuff we just did a nightmare on elm street can't wait to listen to that it was one of our mm -hmm. best episodes it flowed beautifully it was a lot of fun pulled on my nostalgia but today we're going into haunted attraction history but we have some haunt news coming out of westland michigan this is by justine lofton from mlive.com a long-abandoned psychiatric hospital, which is rumored to be haunted, will soon get a $4 million renovation to turn it into a hotel, restaurant, and haunted attraction, officials announced. The former Eloise Psychiatric Hospital, also known as Eloise Asylum, and Westland closed in 1984. Most of the complex's 75 buildings were raised by the mid-80s. Redevelopment of the property and remaining structures has been complicated by contamination, according to a news release from the Michigan Department of Environment. The current project is supported by a 695000 Brownfield grant from EGLE. The funds will aid contamination cleanup efforts, the release said. Some blighted structures will be removed as part of this project, the release said. 
Two historic buildings will be preserved. Commercial establishments, including the haunted attraction that's already there, hotel, restaurant, and bar will be added. Nice. So you could actually probably stay at the haunt. That's pretty cool. <laughs> that is awesome. Contamination includes petroleum-related compounds in the soil and groundwater, which likely came from underground storage tanks that leaked, the release said. The EGLE grant will pay for the evacuate the excavation, transport, and disposal of a contaminated soil, which will prevent subsurface contamination from the historic structures. The city of Westland has parted with Michigan Avenue LLC to redevelop the site as part of a multi-phase project, which is expected to create 50 to 100 full-time jobs, 75 to 100 seasonal jobs, and 2.5 million increase in the property's taxable value. Eloise Asylum was founded as a poorhouse in 1839 before it became one of the largest public health care facilities in the United States. The first inmate of the asylum was admitted in 1841, Bridget Biddy Hughes. She remained there until her death in 1895. Built in 1931, Building D, also known as the K. Beard Building, once housed 409 psychiatric care Oh, 409 patients. Psychiatric care ended at Eloise in 1979. The General Hospital closed in 1984. A haunted attraction opened in the K building in 2021. That is awesome. That's pretty cool. Getting the hotel and some restaurants at the haunt. I mean, wow. Sign me up. That's pretty <laughs> different. All right, guys. All our haunts started from somewhere. I didn't realize. That it went all the way back that far. It goes far back. I have a couple articles here. Some of them fight back and forth. And a couple haunts actually have this stuff on their website, which I thought was really cool. That's awesome. For the customer. All right. History. One of the first recorded purpose-built haunted attractions was the Orton and Spooner Ghost House, which opened in 1915 in Lip Hook, England. Closely resembling a carnival funhouse, it was powered by steam. It still exists in the Hollycomb Steam Collection. Nice. That's awesome. I'm sure it's kind of wore down. And... Oh, God, yeah. <sighs> the background for the creation of the Orton and Spooner Ghost House might be seen in the 18th and 19th century London and Paris, when literature, performances by magicians, spiritualists, and psychics as well as theatrical shows and attractions introduced the public to gruesome entertainment. Oh, yeah. In 1802, Marie Tussaud, the famous wax museum, yep. scandalized British audiences with an expedition of wax sculptures of decapitated victims of the French Revolution, include King Louis VIII, Marie Antoinette, Rose Paris, and Jane Paul Marat. Her exhibits exist today as the Chamber of Horrors in Madame Tussauds in London. Don't they have one in New York too? That's just the horror one. That's limited time. They're talking they still have oh, the original one in London. Gotcha. In France, from 1897, the Grand Gounod Theatre was scaring audiences with graphically staged horror entertainment. The Fantasmagoria show existed even earlier but a well-known version in 1797 Paris was the Fantasmagorie, which made use of magic lantern projections and crude special effects. That's pretty cool. That is cool. Well, this shit goes back. 
Hollywood-themed haunted houses in America seemed to begin emerging during the Great Depression, but at the same time as trick-or-treating. During the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, it was common for magicians to use supernatural themes in their stage performances, which evolved into the tradition of a traveling ghost show, also referred to as a spook show or creep show, and incorporate comedy, displays of mentalism, and theater special effects. During the 1950s, these specialized shows were often performed as pre-show entertainment before screenings of popular horror movies. Yeah, you would go watch a B-movie, and they would have shit coming from the ceilings, stuff under your chair, make stuff vibrate, like Attack of the Giant Cockroach, and you would see like right. people in... Co- like, they would do that. There was a f- movie that came out in the late 90s about one of those theaters. John Goodman was in it. I can't remember the name of the movie. I probably didn't say it. But he ran one of those theaters with all the, you know, Attack of the 70-Foot Woman or stuff like that. Then we come down to The Haunted Mansion. The Haunted Mansion opened in Disneyland on August 9th, 1969, and was highly successful, soon gaining a single-day record of 82,516 guests. That's a lot of people. Excuse me. In 1973, Knott's Berry Farm began hosting its own Halloween night attraction, Knott's Scary Farm. That goes back to 73. Well, Jerry Falwell and Liberty University introduced one of the first Hell Houses in 1972. We'll talk about the Hell Houses because you Catholics are crazy. (laughs) No, you, you, you just wait. During the late 1950s, California was a focus for Halloween haunts. In 1957, the San Mateo Haunted House opened, sponsored by the Children's Health Home Junior Auxiliary. The San Bernardino Assistant League Haunted House opened in 1958. In 1962 and 63, home haunts began appearing across the country, including Oregon, California, Connecticut, Illinois, and several other states. On October 17, 1964, the San Mateo Haunted House opened as a walk-through haunted house. The Children's Museum Haunted House in Indianapolis, opened every year since 1964, was Indiana's first haunted house and is currently the longest running in the nation. It's still open? Apparently. Wow. Haunted houses quickly spread across the country via charity fundraisers conducted by the United States Junior Chamber, also known as the JCs, and others. The JCs encouraged its membership to construct haunted houses and abandoned buildings or fields as charity-raising events, and the organization became known for these houses throughout America. In the late 1960s to early 70s, haunted attractions were developed in larger American cities like Louisville, Kentucky, and Cincinnati, Ohio, with the creation of JCs Haunted Houses. These haunted houses are run by local chapters of the JCs. There are many, still many local chapter JC haunted houses in towns such as Lombard, Illinois, Foxborough, Massachusetts, Raleigh, North Carolina, and Columbia, South Carolina. The former Huntington JC's haunted house, now known as the Haunted Hotel 13th Floor, was operated by volunteers in 1963. The first verifiable J.C.'s haunted attraction, as recognized by the J.C.'s national office, was the WSAI Haunted House in Cincinnati, Ohio, operated by 
the Sycamore Deer Park JCs in 1970. In 1974, the Haunted Schoolhouse, located in Akron, Ohio, opened to the public and is still in operation to this day. So I believe that is the Dent Schoolhouse, and it has been open since 1974. And that's the one you want to go to. Yes. Now, here's a very creepy thought. You know who was a JC and a leading member of a JC in the 70s, no. especially in Illinois? Mm-mm. Who? John Wayne Gacy. Really? So John Wayne Gacy probably ran one of these houses. That's creepy. Yep. Very creepy. So we're kind of tied to serial killers at some point. <laughs> yep. If he was a JC then, he had to be yeah. involved because he was a high-ranking member of the JCs. All right, moving on. The March of Dimes copyrighted a mini haunted house for the March of Dimes in 1976 and began fundraising through their local chapters by conducting haunted houses soon after. Although they apparently quit supporting this type of event nationally sometime in the 1980s, some March of Dime haunted houses have persisted until today. This includes the Spooky Acres Haunted House in Norfolk, Virginia. Others opened during the period include one in Indio, California in 1976 and one in Salt Lake City, Utah in 1989, and actually one in Honolulu, Hawaii in 97. March of Dime haunted houses continuing much beyond the late 80s would be considered outliers. <laughs> well, we can't go into haunted attraction history without touching on this. And this is one show we're still working on. So we're just going to touch the basis for this because I'm working on a big presentation because this was a big deal. Yeah, it was. The, be the beginning of the end for the charity haunts can be traced to a single event. The Haunted Castle at Six Flags Great Adventure caught fire on the evening of May 11th, 1984 in Jackson Township, New Jersey. Eight teenagers lost their lives in the fire. There were criminal charges filed, civil lawsuits, numerous investigation, and the inevitable result that fire safety laws, building codes, and inspections were tightened up considerably nationwide. The net effect was to make charity attractions less, economical less economically viable than they were before. Better construction materials were required, and fire safety equipment was required, making a temporary venue too expensive for many charities to afford. As a result, the larger, better-funded, for-profit operators moved in as the charities moved out. The fire caused wide-ranging changes for all amusement buildings, not just haunts. This changed everything. everything. Previously, operators were able to avoid fire codes because such attractions were used as temporary. The Haunted Castle fire pointed to an unattractive reality that forced tighter regulations. And the fire was a big deal. We will do a full episode on it because I feel like I'm not touching it enough. And we've actually been working on that episode since last season. Right. Because I want to get input from outside us. Right. I'm burping, so let me take a coffee real quick. <clears throat> and you we know noticed... you can't talk when we have like music. I was so just about to say something. <laughs> and we just... Um, and we were asking like different haunt owners that are close to that area too. Yeah. And I have a, one interview loaded up for it. I want to get a bunch more. 
We'll yeah, work on that this off season. We will. That should have been one of our goals for twenty. Finish the years. Six Flags episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like your book. <laughs> All right, guys, listen up. Take a quick break from this. Should I do a novel or should I do a screenplay? Because it has to be tempered differently. I don't know what I want to do. So vote now. I don't care how you vote. Send us a message, Instagram, email, whatever. I'm curious to see what everyone wants. Because I see it as a movie, but I can easily make it a book. But a book's harder to do. Screenplays are easier. But I might leave shit out. And I, I'm just, I don't know. It's something I've been working on for five years now. Yeah, it's about that. Maybe a little bit longer. Yeah, I restarted it all. I don't like how it was going. But that's my book, so I can do what I want. All right. Let's go back into it. Professional haunted houses began to show up in the United States about the same time as the nonprofits. However, subsequent to the haunted haunted castle fire, many existing haunting attractions were shut down. As politicians and regulators enacted stronger safety codes, volunteer organizations struggled to compete against the new for-profit competition under the tougher rules. Many were forced out of the business either from the added competition or the inability to fund safety requirements. The JCs got pushed out because their haunted houses were fairly basic. Currently, in the United States alone, there are over 4,000 October seasonal haunted houses and 300 theme parts that operate horror-themed events. Wow. (laughs) That's a lot. In order to increase off-season attendance, theme parks entered the business seriously in the late 1980s and early 1990s. Six Flags launched Fright Fest in 1986, and Universal Studios began Halloween Horror Nights in 91. Although Knott's Berry Farm launched their Knott's Scary Farm in 1973, given America's obsession with Halloween as a cultural event surging in the 90s... Sorry, I don't know. I got a tickle in my throat. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I did not come prepared. Knott's saw their attraction take off. Theme parks have played a major role in globalizing the holiday. Universal Studios Singapore and Universal Studios Japan both participate, while Disney now mounts Mickey's not-so-scary Halloween bullshit events at its park in Paris, Hong Kong, and Tokyo, as well as the United States. The theme park haunts are by far the largest, both in scale and attendance. And they are, but they shouldn't be. (coughs) A lot of them are bad. I'll flat-out tell you that. Oh, yeah. All right, so... We talked about hell houses. This is so fucked up. I want to go to one just to see one. There aren't many around. I guess we have to go to the Bible Belt for these. All right. So hell houses are haunted. You sound, it would sound awesome, right? Like something you really right. want to go to. Hell houses are haunted attractions typically run by Christian churches or parachurch groups. These depict sin, the torments of the damned in hell, and usually conclude with the depiction of heaven. They are most typically operated in days preceding the Tritium of All Hallowed Tide. 
A Hell House, like a conventional haunted house attraction, is a space set aside for actors to frighten patrons with gruesome exhibits and scenes, presented as a series of short vignettes with a narrated guide. Unlike haunted houses, hell houses focus on occasions and effects of sin or the fate of unrepentant sinners in the afterlife. (laughs) Exactly. What What the fuck? The exhibits at a hell house often have controversial tone focusing on issues of concern to Christians in the United States. Hell houses frequently feature exhibits depicting sin and its consequences. Common examples include abortion. There's an abortion scene in a hell house. What the hell? Suicide. There's a suicide scene. Use of alcoholic beverages and recreational drugs. So there's a heroin scene. Oh, my God. Adultery. So you got cheating scene. Are you, do they have people fucking on the bed? Like, <laughs> oh no, that is really odd. Occultism and satanical ritual abuse. So you're cool as long as you talk to Satan, but ritual <sighs> abuse is a problem. Couldn't they find a different name? Hell houses typically. Hell house? Well, you're going to hell. That they want to yeah. show you hell. That's the point. Hell houses typically emphasize the belief that anyone who does not repent or their of their sin and accept Jesus Christ as their personal savior is commended to hell. And you pay to go in these fucking things. Uh, yeah, what are they? I would like to know what the hell they're charging. One of the first hell houses is Scaremare. Still presented each October in Lynchburg, Virginia. Yep, down in the Bible Belt. It was created by Jerry Falwell in the late 1970s. Similar events began in several regions during that period. Hell houses have faced criticism for advertising themselves as traditional haunted houses. You motherfuckers. Most involve biblical lessons and ask some customers to pray to Jesus Christ before exiting. I would punch you in the fucking head. (laughs) Oh, Oh, I would. Oh, my God. There's no fucking need for religious here. Somehow houses are much more graphic than traditional haunted attractions and not appropriate for all audiences. Yeah, one I saw on YouTube years ago, they showed a rape. A chicken raped over and over and over again when you pass the scene. At one of those things? Yes. Yep. And yet we get a bad name, but the Christians can run this fucking shit. That's insane. Yep. So that's Hell Houses. Um, What the fuck? I had no idea. Oh, I did. I couldn't wait to cover that. I had no clue. But yet, it's the Christians and the Catholics that jump into horror movies with a problem with it, but they're funding this shit. Right. Fucking, can you see the contradiction yet? All right. Back into my world. <laughs> Business environment. Haunted attractions can be characterized as follows. A mega haunt, a professional haunt, charity haunt, and a home haunt. The mega haunts would include the large theme park operators such as Universal Studios Horror Nights, Six Flags Fright. I'm not calling Six Flags. It's got four attractions. How's that a mega haunt? And Walt Disney's Haunted Mansion. That's one attraction. That's not a mega haunt. Mega haunt I would consider HHN, Knott's Berry Farm, and anything with like 10 attractions. Like Mm. Frightland would be a mega haunt. Right. Um, Headless Horseman. Yeah, they have 10 attractions. 
These largest operators are not members of any haunt trade groups and are ignored by them in terms of reviews and awards. That would be true, because I do ignore them. (laughs) (laughs) This mega group also avoids publishing attendance or revenue figures. It ain't hard to figure out how much a fucking haunt's making. No, it's not. Especially HHN. You know the ticket prices, you know how much they're open, you can figure out by going one time how many people are there. Yeah, a, a fuck ton. Now, here we go. The professional American haunt industry is a multi-billion dollar business with nearly 2,000 haunts open each year. All right, 2,000 professional haunts. We got to like 70. We're, we're cutting into the surface here. Oh, my God. Could you imagine? In a year? No. But we got we got time. Open each year and over 12 million customers attending those attractions. Throughout the year, there are many conventions held all over the United States. These include the Midwest Haunters Convention in Ohio, National Haunters Convention, Pennsylvania. I don't think that one happens anymore. It might in Pittsburgh. Haunted Attraction National Train Show and Conference, also known as HauntCon. It moves to a new city each year, but it's kind of been stuck in New Orleans area. Uh. Indie Haunt Fest in Indiana, West Coast Haunters Convention in Oregon, Canadian Haunters Convention in Canada, Halloween and Attraction Show, that's also known as Trans World, and many others. These annual conventions feature props, seminars, workshops, parties, and haunt tours. The biggest show of the year is the Trans World Halloween and Haunted Attraction Show in St. Louis, Missouri. Each March, drawing over 8,000 buyers with over 100,000 square feet of vendors. This year, it's in February. One of these years, I'd like to go. John's going. I'm looking forward to the videos. And Shonja's growing, so I'm making her videotape stuff. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> and actually, Nikki's going. They give a presentation. That's cool. I've been watching her uh, put that together on Facebook. Very cool. Got like a jet flying over right now. All right, the haunt industry's first association, the International Association of Haunted Attraction, IAHA, started in 1998. The second was the Haunted House Association in 2008. In late 2010, both associations agreed to merge and form the Haunted Attraction Association. Other related groups are the Haunt Reviewers Association, Haunt Home Haunters Association and the Halloween and Haunt Vendors Association. I don't know how many of these are still around. I was just going to ask you that. Many haunted attractions across the United States now feature high-quality animatronics and effects. It is not uncommon to come across towering monsters, movie-quality CGI, dynamic lighting props that interact with customers, scent dispensers, intricate set pieces and figures, pneumatic props, or props that spray water or air. (laughs) Can we get two cats and a dog? Take them. I'll give you money. (laughs) 50 bucks each. Come get them. I just went, oh my god. Attractions are covered by industry trade magazines, including Haunt World Magazine. Haunted Attraction Magazine, and Fangoria sometimes. The industry has also been featured by television networks, and attractions are ranked by a variety of special interest websites. I guess that would be us. That would be us. Because I know it's sure fucked not the USA Top 10 because they had a haunt on there that wasn't even fucking opened. 
That's what started all this. <laughs> it is, that fucking list. That's what started it. As of 2013, one source estimated there were more than 2,500 haunted attractions worldwide, most in the United States. It is estimated to be an $8.4 billion industry in America alone in 2016, according to the National Retail Federation. This is up from estimated Halloween spending in the United States in 2011 at $6.8 billion which itself was up from $3.3 billion in 20. See, Halloween's taking over, baby. Fuck Christmas. In the past two decades, Christmas was a ton of fun. I had fun. We did a lot of Christmas stuff. It's a time suck. I'd rather be right here and not spending money. How's that camera coming along? <laughs> oh, it's not, because fuck Christmas. I just lost the eBay bid last night, God damn it. In the past two decades, haunted houses have become a booming national industry that generates hundreds of millions of dollars and include family-friendly theme parks, high, huge high-tech productions, and even evangelical Christian hell houses. I still can't believe that. Oh, I can. International Perspective While many cultures have Halloween and Halloween-like traditions, many of which have been absorbed by Americans, Physical locations where simulated haunted attractions are created seem to have been a uniquely American invention. The American haunted attraction has recently begun to be exported elsewhere. From the early 2000s, with theme parks playing a major role in globalizing the holiday, as they often have an international presence. The clearest examples are Universal Studios, which has exposed its HHN to its parks in Singapore, Japan, and Six Flags, which began celebrating its Fright Fest and locations in Mexico and Canada. Disney now mounts... See, why is that in here? Disney's not a haunted attraction, it's other like, than the Haunted Mansion. It's Mickey's Not So Scary. Lame. Yeah, but kids... I was into this when I was a kid. Not all what, kids. What am I going to do with Mickey? Not all kids are. Mickey. My kids weren't even into Mickey. They didn't care about Disney. And they're not into haunts either. We're getting there. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you, once Cole's friends ask him to go to haunt, he'll be in. No. Mm -hmm. He's going to be like Brian. No, I don't think so. Overseas operators of themed attractions have also followed the American trends, including Fright Nights at Throat Park in England, Scarefest at Alton Towers Stratfire, England, and Fright Nights at Warner Brothers Movie World in Queensland, Australia. And there are other pro haunts out there like we've talked to that one in ireland the yes. nightmare realm um there's a couple in england they're popping up the, this was on 13thhour.com or yeah the wharton mm -hmm. haunt ancient inspiration the earliest inspiration for haunted house attractions comes from ancient civilizations like the egyptians greeks and romans to keep grave robbers at bay the ancient egyptians created mazes moving walls, self-opening doors, and traps. While these were not made for entertainment purposes, they laid the groundwork for haunted house attractions by inventing design devices designed to scare. The Greeks and the Romans were the first to use scare techniques for entertainment purposes. Each civilization's folklore was filled with monsters living within the labyrinths that they depicted through theater production. This is where we first see devices we use to scare today, like fog... 
<laughs> That's your favorite. Fake blood and basic special effects to create monsters. This form of theatrical entertainment created the building blocks of what modern house and haunted houses are today. The Dark Ages. Although Europe largely converted from Celtic and pagan religions during the Dark Ages, they held on to some pagan traditions. These led to the modern-day concept of Halloween, as well as pushed forward the evolution of haunted house attractions. During this time, there were pageant wagons that went across Europe performing biblical plays. These plays focus heavily on scarier or more thrilling Bible passages that were intended to frighten people into acting righteously. They used a combination of gore and morals that attendees couldn't get enough of. The Dark Ages also brought with it the practice of carving pumpkins, bobbing for apples, dressing in costumes, and trick-or-treating, the basis of modern-day Halloween. Now, if I'm right, the Dark Ages were before Christmas, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's almost like Christmas was man-made to mop up a pagan holiday. That's so weird. <laughs> You're an ass. Not an ass, I'm right. Alright, the Renaissance. As theater evolved, society became more accustomed to the art of scaring. Playwrights like William Shakespeare depicted ghosts, demons, and monsters in their play and utilized animal parts to simulate blood and gore. <laughs> the shock and all that resulted from an actor bleeding to death in front of an audience continued to grow the society's love of fear. The 1800s. With the 1800s came the rise of mediums, fortune tellers, spiritualists, and conjurers of the dead. This was the spiritualism yes. act in America. This was the early days of supernatural professions of entertainment, which mainly served elites. During this time, John Henry Pepper, a British scientist and inventor, created a technique that used mirrors to create a translucent ghost-like illusion. This technique was known as Pepper's Ghost. The 1800s was also the era, era where the first wax museums were popularized. So that goes into there. When you walk through a haunted house attraction and see a sinister wax model, you can thank this era of fright. The early 1900s. The early 1900s brought about the freak show. This is the first formal form of a haunted attraction. Attendees would walk through an array of human deformities and other strange exhibits that were often faked. This led... What do you mean often faked? Do you got a lot of crocodile boys down there? <laughs> <laughs> this led to the rise of dark rides. These involved patrons sitting on a boat or train that traveled through different scenes. As they grew in popularity, more and more dark rides began to focus on horror. Another interesting aspect of the early 1900s is the main buildings from the early 1800s were falling apart and hazardous. To keep children away from these buildings, it was common for adults to say they were haunted. This increased the popularity and mystery of the haunted house concept. And then it would kick into the beginning of our episode. Pretty cool shit in there. It is. I had no idea it went back that far. Yeah, it goes back to ancient times. Um, Halloween is awesome. I love it. I can't wait to get in the haunted attraction. We gotta figure out where we're going in February. I don't know which what Valentine's Day we're doing. I'm tempted to do a new one, but I don't want to do a new one in the off season. I want to do a new one during haunt season. 
You know oh, what I mean? Because no. it's we kinda, have to research and see who else is open. Because it's half barreled during the off season. You know what I mean? I don't want to judge a new book by its off season cover. Because I know where we're going for St. Patty's Day. Oh yeah, that's a must. So I want someplace different. All right, we'll, I'll look. We'll work on it. We will work on it. I'll look. If you guys want to post a video about your days or want us to talk about the days you're open for your off-season events, shoot us an email. I'm more than happy to post it. I know we're probably missing a few, and I don't care where you're located. It's not even if it's something we can't reach. We do have an interview coming up with a manager from the 13th realm in Atwood, Tennessee. <laughs> it's going to be fun. It should be later today. So we're going to wrap this episode up so we can... Hit our shops and get back and see what's popping. Pop a lacking. All right. So, what did you think? I learned a lot. I didn't realize it went back that far. And I'm shocked about Hell House. Yeah. How about that? I saw a special on that on like the one of the fucking travel channels or something long time ago back when i first started researching all this and it was a big what the fuck moment then and it's still a big what the fuck <laughs> what the moment hell? now yeah I, I i i'm going through one and i pray the dude at the end tells me to pray to jesus christ he's gonna be fucking head down ass up <laughs> like how can you just tell people to do that that's just like that's just wrong considering man, there's so many listen, different I, I'm people all, out there i'm all for religious beliefs and you can believe what you believe but you can't press that shit on people no and that's can't. something the fucking christians and catholics do and it drives me insane because <sighs> then it comes into politics and then we're listening to bible structures about well, jesus christ all right so we got an interview coming up we got improvement notes coming up we're always working on the six flags fire uh i'm working on a cut we're i'm gonna let valentine's day end before i start tapping the owners to see if they want to come on okay because we'll have a little because right after valentine's day is trans world that maybe i'll wait till after st patty's day because then there's a break yes all right but then the next one up is halfway to halloween yes we may have a guy for ohio See how that works out. We'll do a little tryout. <laughs> hey, gotta start somewhere. Yeah, but uh, the this Eloise Mansion uh, or Eloise Asylum, sorry, um, that's pretty cool. That sounds so cool. That's a I cool idea for go. some abandoned structures. I mean, I'm sure they got to tear down most of the buildings to put up a hotel. But I mean, I'm having sure. a hotel with restaurants, like you're kind of creating a little Salem around your haunted attraction. That thing's gonna be. The hotel's probably going to be sold out in years. Oh, ever, you're not going to be able to get a room in September, October, probably. No. Look at what we go through for just Field of Screams. And there's three to choose from. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, I also do the free points, so they kind of put me at the back of the line. All right, we're hitting 40 minutes. This is not an interview, so it does not have to be this long. Guys, let us know what you thought about the episode. Mm -hmm. Let us know what you think about Hell Houses. Let us know what you think about Christmas. And uh, let me know if I should do a novel or a screenplay. I don't know if it's something I'm going to try and sell, but it's something I've always wanted to do. In my opinion, I would do a screenplay. Right. But they're a little harder to move if I decide to move it. Right. So I don't know. 
other they take longer because you got to set more scenes. Script, you just set the scene, then you do the dialogue. Then do a book. I don't know. Oh my god. I don't know. I've been going going over this for years now, but uh, I know the story I want to tell. That's the good part. I know what I want to do, so I just got to figure out how I'm going to do it. All right, guys. This has been Halloween Haunts 365.com, the podcast where every day is haunt season. Goodbye. Bye. Halloween Haunts 365 Productions.